Hey there, fellow entrepreneurs. If you're tired of complicated domain management, I've got the solution for you, Hover.com. Hover makes registering and managing domains a breeze. Their clean interface and hassle-free experience will save you time and frustration. No upsells, no hidden fees, just straightforward domain services. Plus, Hover offers top-notch customer support. Make your life easier. Head over to milwaukeemafia.com hover and simplify your jo- domain journey today. You're listening to Milwaukee Mafia, your podcast dose of Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Milwaukee Mafia podcast. I'm Eric. I'm Gavin. And Gavin, we're back again. Yeah. Got anything exciting for us today? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> let me tell you a story. Last night, I started a, I started a bowling league. Yeah. Well, I didn't start a bowling league, but it was our first <laughs> night of bowling league. And uh, I underestimated just how much bowling can kick your butt. <laughs> so so are you saying you're just like sore and in agony right now? Not in agony, but like both of my legs kind of hurt. Um, one foot's got a blister on it. The other foot like... I don't know if I twisted something, but my foot hasn't been hitting the ground right. What kind of bowling are you doing? Some pretty intense bowling. <laughs> uh, apparently. Like, every time you do it, like, this is, the game has really come a long way. And now, <laughs> and now, like, there's a ridiculous amount of stats. And each time it'll be like, you're not standing two inches to the left like you should be, or... You only bowled that one at 14.3 miles per hour. <laughs> Try going for 15. And it's like, oh, okay. So, so it's, it's like it's like the, the score thing like teaches you how to bowl and yeah. makes you a better bowler now. That's well, interesting. In, in theory, but it like it's like you're not being aggressive enough. Come on. I'm like, <laughs> all right, man. And it's you know, and it's still it's just bowling, but I don't regularly bowl. I will now, but um so, but so you know, it's like how often do you use your bowling muscles? <laughs> well, when you're in, on a bowling league, pretty regularly. Yeah. But it's like, it's not that often that I take a heavy object and throw it underhand at things. So I don't know. <laughs> Beyond that, do yeah. you have anything mafia related to talk I about do. today? I do. There's some banter there, you know. You got to <laughs> have the little warm-up banter. Today, I've got a story about... Home mortgage fraud. Ooh. Yeah. Every All of our listeners are like, boring. And Eric is like, ooh, I like this episode. <laughs> I think I think it's interesting. And, and I tried to streamline this the best I could, making it so like you can understand it without oversimplifying it. Hopefully, I did this okay. <laughs> uh, but the people who want more information, as always, go on the website. The notes are unedited on there all the names dates places all on there so um go ahead check that out uh pretty much our main character today is john Ayello, and john is the grandson of vito guardalabene okay he's kind of like mafia royalty his dad was in the mafia his grandfather was in the mafia his uncle was in the mafia his brothers in the mafia. they're like all this is a very tight family with that stuff. 
So was this like with the because I th- I felt like we had talked about in a previous episode and I think it was probably a Patreon. So if if any listeners are like, yeah, we never talked about that, it's probably because you're not a Patreon member. Yeah. But then we <laughs> talk about how like most of the Guardalabene family never really carried on into the mafia after Vito. Yes. So that was this just like the s- small chapter that kind of did that carried on the tradition or whatever. His two sons did, but his grandsons that have the name Guadalabene did not. But the Aiello's come in because an Aiello married his daughter. Okay. And then they then had these kids. Um, it's it's out of the Guadalabene name in the previous generation. It carries on one generation further in the Aiello generation. In the Aiello family. And then it does it pretty much die after Pretty much that dies after, after that. that. Okay. These guys are at this point are already like in their 50s and they, they're not passing it on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, so so John here, he kind of starts coming to attention in the late 50s. He'd been known for some time um, because like his brother was murdered back as early as the 30s. So people knew who he was. He really kind of got noticed for this sort of thing in the 50s because he was affiliated with various home construction, home remodeling companies, and he had a really bad habit of not paying his taxes. <laughs> so, like you do when you're in the mob. Yeah. They found that like the company that he that he worked for, like they didn't they hadn't filed their taxes uh for the for the past five years. They didn't pay withholding taxes, they didn't pay unemployment taxes. Um, and in those five years, they racked up $53,000 of taxes that they didn't pay, which in the 50s is a pretty good chunk of money. money yeah. yeah. He next gets noticed because him and one of his home remodeling buddies uh, are up in Marshfield, and they both go to a massage parlor, and they get massages, but they pay with bad checks. <laughs> okay. One check one check bounces and the other one has a fake name on it. So <laughs> So they get in some trouble for that. He gets mostly affiliated with a company called Wisconsin Suppliers and Builders, um, which is run by Kenneth Weiss. And Kenneth Weiss, not Sicilian, very much mob guy. He'll probably come up again. So what they're doing is they're going around, they're doing home remodeling. And while they're doing this, first of all, a lot of people think they're doing shoddy work. They they don't get very great reviews. Reviews. (laughs) Okay. But second of all, what they do is they then take the signatures from these people they're getting the home remodeling from, and they put it onto these mortgages, and then like they forge it onto mortgages, Okay. and then they sell them to banks. Okay. So then they get, like, I don't know how this is possible. I'm guessing you cannot do this anymore. Signing mortgage papers to, like, take out a, you know. So they were essentially signing a mortgage under that person's name, just pocketing the money. Right. And then that person was just kind of liable for paying that mortgage back to the bank. Exactly. Exactly right. That makes sense to me. Yeah. I mean, like, I get it. I know that, you know, you can do a reverse mortgage or a home equity loan to do remodeling on your house. Like, yeah, that's still a thing. But can can anybody just turn that into the bank? Wouldn't the person who owns the house have to be there? You would think so, but I mean, if they're forging documents to make them power of attorneys or something like that, yeah. then yeah, you could get away with it, it theoretically today too. <laughs> I mean, I would think. Yeah, well, 
Either way, they had done this for a couple years, and then in 1961, they end up getting busted. Johnny Yellow, Kenneth Weiss, a couple other guys um, end up getting busted for what was believed to be hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of fake mortgages. And, you know, that's just kind of what they could prove. Mm-hmm. Um, when they went to the banks, you know, the banks showed that these things were not only signed, forged signed, but signed, but they were notarized as well. And actually the notaries ended up getting in some trouble too, because they were like, you're not really supposed to notarize things when the person's not around. Like mm-hmm. that's not how a notary works. So the notaries ended up getting fined for their part in this as well. I don't know how much they knew. That's not what a notary, notary is supposed, supposed to do. To do yeah. <laughs> uh, they end up getting in some trouble. But yeah, so John Aiello's in trouble. August Maniachi, who's like, we've probably talked about him a dozen times. We'll talk about him a dozen more. Big guy, he gets in trouble. Um, Henry Necky, um, who runs another company called Union Improvements, they're doing the exact same thing, and there's a lot of overlap between these two companies. The salesmen kind of jump back yeah, and forth course. between the two of them. Yeah, Wisconsin Suppliers and Builders, our main one. Augie Maniachi is listed as the president of the company. Um, he totally knows what's up. Mm-hmm. The vice president is Fred Bishop, and Fred Bishop, I have never seen that name before or since. I don't know if he knows what's up or not. I'm going to guess... Just thinking about it from a criminal's perspective, mm-hmm. I would think like, because what, what did you say, August? What is it? Augie Maniachi? Yeah. So his name is a president. And I'm going to guess if you look at his resume, he's clearly not qualified to be a president of a construction company. So I'm wondering if the mafia intentionally put a mafia member at the top and then also look for like a legitimate person at the top. So if somebody were to ever look at the company, mm-hmm. they would say, okay, this could be a legitimate company because that person has a history in this industry. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't know what makes you qualified or not qualified. Like his background, Maniachi's background is like running taverns and nightclubs. Right. So it's like he understands business, but I don't know if he knows. But he doesn't know the first thing about construction. I bet you this Bishop guy is just some pawn they found to put his name on the paperwork. To make it look like this is the guy that's got the construction experience. And that could be because because Bishop, like, so I, I looked into him, of course. He's not even a Milwaukee guy. Like, he lives in Winnetka, Illinois. I'm not even 100% sure where Winnetka is. Um, but he lives in Winnetka, Illinois. And his primary business is running an oil heating business. It, it could be what you're saying. Like, this guy's name might be on the paperwork, but he might not. Ever be in Milwaukee. He might show up a day a year to sign papers or something. And and it might be a thing where they just go to these people and say, here's $1,000, let us put your name on this company. Yeah. Or something like that. And they're like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Augie Maniachi, John Aiello, um, they were friends going a long time. These These guys are buddies. They're very tight. Back in 1955, they were the top suspects in the Jack Inea murder. And I'm probably, again, saying Inea wrong and someone's going (laughs) to bust me for it but whatever on the night of the murder they drove to rockford and they had their vehicle burned and dismantled (laughs) presumably to destroy evidence they stayed that night at a hotel where a maid found a gun in their room which not necessarily means anything but still it it caught the maid's attention when questioned by police they said they were in town for an oil deal i don't know 
I don't know why for an oil deal you have to go and burn your car. <laughs> hey, I don't know. But they didn't get in trouble for any of that. An FBI agent spoke with a Milwaukee bank representative. Um, they said, yeah, we've been dealing business with these uh, home remodeling places for about 18 months. Purchased 25 loans from them. All the signatures were checked by the Milwaukee Police Department. The Milwaukee Police, I don't know how they determined this, but the Milwaukee Police Department said that 12 of the signatures were legitimate, 13 were suspicious, and of those 13, nine of them were probably forgery. <laughs> how, how you know that, I don't know, but <laughs> I'm guessing they must have a way. Uh, since then, since, the, since these places were busted, the bank took the extra step of calling the homeowners, and each of them assured the bank the work on their homes was satisfactory and that they would be paying the loans as indicated in their contracts. The representative from the bank said one of the loans went through the FHA for $3,500, and this was largely the bank's decision to run it through this federal program. Mm -hmm. uh, he said in order to maintain a good rating with the FHA, the bank had to submit a certain number of FHA loans per year. Why this is important to the story is an FHA loan, because it is a federal program, would make this scheme a federal oh, crime. crime. Okay. Otherwise, forging mortgages is not a federal crime. Mm -hmm. It's definitely not cool, but it makes the FBI much less interested. Mm -hmm. This is kind of like the deciding factor. Is the FBI going to get involved or is it going to be a, a local oh, police situation? And here, the FBI is kind of stepping back from it because there's only one loan that they know is the, feder is the federally approved loan and... Uh, and, and basically the bank applied for it and not the guys. Mm. Well, and I would think within the FHA, FHA, FHA loan program, the bank is always going to apply for it. I think because I, I the, presume. Bank, the bank get, borrows the money from the federal government, the federal government or the bank then borrows it to people. That's my understanding of it. I'm not sure. a banker, so I can't really. Yeah. Yeah. As with many of these episodes, I don't know about banking. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just I'm just relying on the reports in the newspapers to to tell me what's up. So I feel like I get it. I may misstate something. Mm -hmm. All right. While this case is waiting to go to court, John Aiello and Kenneth Weiss were in an accident on Highway 18 in Iowa County between the towns of Ridgeway and Barnveld. And I don't know where right. either of those are. <laughs> they were brought to St. Joseph's Hospital in Dodgeville, which I do know where that is. Um, and later transferred to St. Michael's in Milwaukee. When a nurse asked Weiss's employment, he became agitated and wouldn't say without his attorney present. Well, that's not a good sign, huh? Yeah. Milwaukee attorney then did call the hospital to ask about any liability issues that might have been involved in the accident. The accident was a head-on collision with a car from Iowa, the state of Iowa, not Iowa County. And Aiello was injured for months. The police issued no tickets saying that highway conditions were at fault because there was a lot of snow on the ground. Aiello had been following a black Cadillac, which hung around for 24 hours after the accident, but no names were taken from the people riding in the Cadillac, so we don't know who was with them. The Aiello vehicle was totaled and sold for parts to a Buick dealership in Baraboo for $200. Aiello still owed... $1,900 on the car, so that didn't help him too much. 
The FBI stopped in at that dealership to search the car, finding samples of aluminum siding, not unusual yeah. when you're home remodel salesman, and a roadmap marked from St. Louis, Missouri to Las Cruces, New Mexico to Phoenix, Arizona. Apparently somebody had gone on or was going to go on a road trip. Oh, you were going to tell me that they were doing projects in all the, all those areas. That's like, that's half the country. Yeah, I mean, not 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 that we know. Yeah, the notary publics that uh, get in trouble are brothers Bernard and, uh, or Bernard and Marvin Klein. Um, they each get $500 fines and they get put on two years probation and lose their notary licenses. So not the worst thing in the world, I guess. A homeowner in Franklin, Wisconsin, was interviewed. He said he spoke with John Aiello about having a bedroom added to his home and was given an estimate. Aiello was chosen because a friend of a friend recommended him. Aiello dictated a contract while another man wrote it out, and it was signed by the man and his wife. When work began, he signed three more papers that he believed were credit background forms, but he did not actually read the forms that he signed. In... In May of that year, uh, he began receiving notices of non-payment from the Marine National Exchange Bank, despite the work not yet even being completed. He told Aiello, who said it was a mistake, and he would contact the bank. The work was not completed until December of that year, because the workers made a series of mistakes, including an uneven floor, (laughs) curved wall, and a split in a flooring support. Yeah, that doesn't sound like they're doing very good work. (laughs) Yeah. The owner said he spoke to Kenneth Weiss a few times by phone, but never actually met him in person. Agents spoke to this guy's wife, and she pointed out that one paper with her signature was dated April 4th, which would be impossible because she was out of town for Easter on April 4th. <laughs> so yeah, like th- this is one example where they're talking to somebody, and yeah, the work is not good. They're getting a notice from a bank that they didn't know that they were dealing with. It's just not a good sign. June 1963. Oh, this is this is almost two years after the original arrest. So this is this is really dragging through here. An FBI agent interviews John Aiello. He said he was currently unemployed and would be for a while because he was expected to go back to the hospital for ulcers and kidney problems on top of the accident that he had previously been in with injuries. He said his wife worked at Gimbel's department store and his daughter was a messenger for Northwestern Mutual, and the two of them were supporting him. When asked about the Tony Burnett murder and the Covelli kidnapping, which we talked about recently on here, mm-hmm. he said he only knew what he read in the newspapers, but he did not believe that the FBI would have kidnapped Covelli. His free time was spent at the Belmont Hotel coffee shop visiting with friends, especially his friends Walter Broca and Augie Maniacci. He also hung out at the Para Corporation where Broca worked for Frank Balistrieri. When asked if there was a criminal organization of Italians in Milwaukee, Aiello said Milwaukee was a clean city and there was no such organization. <laughs> and he had never heard of an Italian syndicate in Milwaukee, which is probably going a little bit too far. Yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can deny your part of it, but... Uh, but don't deny it exists because yeah, it going, was pretty at this point in time it's pretty wide open that it's there. Yeah, so I don't think he was convincing anybody. <laughs> a couple months later in August, the prosecutor Hugh O'Connell asked the judge to dismiss charges of passing forged forged mortgages for nine of the defendants involved. The judge agreed, and the case against Maniachi, Weiss, Aiello, and the others was dropped. 
The judge said, one of the chief difficulties is that there's no identity of the forger possible scientifically. These are just tracings of other signatures. Um, basically saying, like, you've got all these guys on trial, but we don't know which ones did which signatures. So it's it's kind of hard to chart them for which crimes. Prosecutor further said that there was not enough evidence to prove that they had guilty, quote-unquote, guilty knowledge, which I don't know what that means, and also told the FBI that some of the paperwork had been stolen. He didn't say this to the judge, but later on he told the FBI, yeah, some of, the, some of my court paperwork was stolen. <laughs> Other rumors persisted around town that the prosecutor had been paid $5,500 by Vincent Mercurio to drop the case. And Vincent Mercurio is, or was, August Maniacci's uncle. Um, and he was like a, he was like a Republican Party official. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly like what he did. Like he wasn't a politician himself. He like worked for the party. Okay. So he was kind of influential among different politicians and stuff. But we don't know. It's never been proved that, that, that that's what happened. But maybe there's not enough evidence. Maybe the paperwork was stolen. Maybe there was a bribe. <laughs> but the charges just kind of vanished. Vanished and went away. Yes. God, I'm really curious because we talked about this in a pre, like way, way back in the day. Yeah. About how mafia members... In, in Milwaukee, just never made enough money yeah. to really, they all had to have day jobs because because they just didn't make that much money. Yeah. Now, at this point in time, is that the same situation? Would you say that that's also true? Because it sounds to me like, like this is quite a scheme with a lot of money. And in the last yeah. few episodes, we've talked about a lot of things the mafia was doing. That to me seems like they could could have been pulling down a lot of cash. Yeah, it's weird because that is the case. Like here, they could connect them to you know a hundred thousand dollars apparently, mm-hmm. if if not more that they didn't know about. But yeah, but none of these guys seem to be doing terribly doing well. well, and I don't know where this money goes. <laughs> I I know like there's like a stereotype that like mob guys get money and they immediately blow it like as soon as the money comes in they go out and they just and throw have it a around big party and yeah and, <clears throat> and it could be as simple as that yeah I don't know because but a hundred thousand dollars is a lot yeah to just blow yeah but it seems like things don't really like some of it in normal situations is supposed to like go uphill but even there Frank Bellstreet was wealthy. But he also had a ton of bars. Yeah. He had a ton of legitimate businesses that probably a lot of that wealth could be equated to those yeah. businesses. And, yeah, uh, he was wealthy, but he wasn't wealthy on like a big level. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know where all this money is going. <laughs> it's really weird. Somebody got really rich off of it, you would think. Well, unless it was just recklessly spent left and right. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. and there's some guys who definitely didn't really have real jobs like a lot of their stuff like they their name might have been on a paper and they got paid and they've actually spent their time going around checking in on the gambling and things like that there weren't a lot of guys who just only had to work a couple hours a day and they were like i'm good Mm -hmm. these guys although they apparently weren't very good at it were actually home remodelers that was their job (laughs) they clearly were not very good yeah (laughs) yeah we'll have a story later it won't be today. We'll have a story later where 
they they do a job in in Appleton, and it does not go well no, at all. Yeah, <laughs> there is that. The story is not done yet, though. Yeah, I figured that, but I just really wanted to get that question in there because that was sparked my curiosity, like at the beginning of this episode. Yeah. Okay. So here we have a problem. Like the charges have been dismissed. That's not necessarily the problem. The problem here is that after the charges are dismissed, the banks involved said, if you're not going to charge these people and bring them to trial, we're going to have to go after the homeowners for the mortgages. Because unless you prove in court that these are forgeries, we have to assume they're real. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this, this is not great because you've got a number of people. In fact, they estimated there were approximately 60 homeowners um, who had loans out who were claiming that they didn't sign those papers. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine, you know, you've got a house. Right. Uh, imagine you start getting, you know, mortgage bills in the mail, and you're like, I'd freaking sign this. this. <laughs> You'd be pretty mad. This is putting a lot of people in a really crappy spot, but what's like, that's what the what's the bank going to do? The bank has to get their money, money back, back on the yeah. loan, so they're going to go after the person who legally Legal is the one on the paperwork. Mm-hmm. They're going after that. The assistant attorney general in Wisconsin said that he was upset, and he blasted the prosecutor in a letter. It is my personal feeling that these cases should be prosecuted, and that you have evidence which is sufficient for a jury to find guilt. But even if I was not absolutely convinced that the jury would find the defendants guilty on the evidence available, I think that the evidence is so adequate as to present the district attorney with a duty to prosecute, even though there is some chance that the jury might not convict. In other words, on the state level, they know about this case, and they're not thrilled that these guys are just going to walk, walk away, away from, from it. From doing this. It's, it's not typically, like, the state doesn't normally give out opinions on what the the county is doing although a district attorney is a state employee they typically don't get involved you know on that level but this one this one caught their attention not great um a detective from the Milwaukee police department spoke with the FBI and said yep we definitely found at least 60 if not 70 different situations where mortgages were obtained by fraud or forgery but he also he agreed with the banks that it was primarily a local matter or not a federal matter because they couldn't really find that FHA connection. Mm-hmm. FBI agents spoke with Raymond Hayes, who was one of these salesmen. Hayes said that he had worked for Wisconsin suppliers and builders, loading and unloading trucks, as well as miscellaneous duties. His employment was roughly from January through December 1961, when the business was forcibly closed by the police raid. He had been hired by Kenneth Weiss and said that John Aiello was a salesman, but also worked as a general manager. On occasion, he would get papers from Weiss and drive Weiss's car to get the papers notarized, but he claimed to know absolutely nothing about the forging part or tracing any names, even though he did, he was apparently the one who went and got them notarized. Agents spoke with Kenneth, Kenneth Weiss. He had been out of town in Houston, Texas, from May through December, so they couldn't find him for a while. But when he came back, uh, they talked to him. He was shown a contract for $3,600 that had been scratched out and changed to $3,500. <laughs> and they said, "What? Why, is, why are the numbers changed on here? And he said, well, this is the one that got submitted to the FHA, and the FHA cap at that time was 3500 
so we cut off the extra little bit to make the cap. It wasn't really anything like shady about it. Oh, it was just trying to in theory. In theory, yeah. it was, but it, the point of it was to actually be able to a, apply for it. Mm-hmm. He said, as secretary treasurer of Wisconsin Suppliers and Builders, he signed the vast majority of the paperwork and did not recall each one in detail, but he flatly denied that there were any tracings or forgings of names at all. The FBI again speaks to John Aiello. Aiello said that he might be, quote, naive or stupid, but he did not think that there was organized crime in Milwaukee. He said it was, quote, just a lot of talk to sell newspapers. <laughs> The agent told Aiello that he had been a suspect in the murder of Jackie Nea, and Aiello said that that was, quote, just so much poppycock. Poppycock? That is the actual <laughs> quote. He says poppycock. He says, they had been close personal friends. Why would he kill him? He described Frank Balistrieri as just a punk kid. Ayala said he frequently visited Walter Broca at the Belmont Coffee Shop and Augie Maniachi at a bar on North Avenue, and all three of them were broke. Ayala said he was in poor health and stopped by the hospital almost every day for outpatient treatment. You can hear the, the papers turning. Yeah. <laughs> he was still being supported by his wife and daughter, as well as his two brothers. Vito, who is another mafia guy, tended bar at the Eagles Ballroom. And Angelo, his other brother, ran the Mint Bar. We might talk about the Mint Bar in a future episode. Angelo, so far as I know, is not a mafia guy. But he's still a, it's still a cool story because the Mint Bar is like one of the oldest gay bars in Milwaukee. So it's kind of a cool story for that. Ayello was worried sick about his troubles with the IRS. He admitted to the FBI agent that he had never filed state taxes in his life. <laughs> 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 why he would admit that i don't know if you went your whole life and didn't file taxes there's a good chance you owe something <laughs> yeah, you think so <laughs> all right another round of warrants came down so after the case was dismissed the first time they're gonna try this again warrants were handed down on the 15 men Mortgage fraud totaling $300,000 this time. Um, Augie Maniachi had seven counts against them. There's only was a $20,000. His, his portion of that was $20,000. A man named Richard Haas had one count for 5900 John Aiello had four counts against him for $14,000 total. Uh, so, like... All these guys, like, the $300,000, like, it's divided up into smaller chunks. So but it's still, still decent money here. Yeah, yeah. It's it almost sounds like maybe so many people are involved in these schemes that no one person is making, like, enough money to, to you know, be rich off of. Yeah. Because, I mean, you look at it, John Aiello had $14,000. That's, I mean... You can you can burn through $14,000 pretty quickly. Yeah. If you want to, so... This time, not in the original arrest, but this time one of the salesmen arrested is a man named Isidore Bograb. And the interesting about interesting thing about Isidore Bograb is he's a cousin to Isidore Pograb, <laughs> who was the nightclub owner who was murdered in, in 1961, January 61. Or was it January 60? Either way, the guy who ran the brass rail. Okay. 
that's not important, but the but it's funny because his name his birth name was Isidore Pograb, but because he didn't want to be confused with his cousin, cousin he, changed he changed his it. name to Isidore Bograb. <laughs> <laughs> he could have picked any name he wanted, and he, that's what he went with. <laughs> you know how it is. Uh, a source told the FBI that the warrants issued so far covered about four or five counties, and there were many, many more, possibly as many as 15 counties where this fraud had occurred. Uh, this was an intentional strategy to bleed the defendants. Rather than charge them all at once, they're going to start charging them a few counties at a time, making it hard for them to keep posting bond, while at the same time ruining their credit to keep them from further business <laughs> ventures. <laughs> they're like, a, each time we get a conviction, their credit's going to get shot, and this will they won't be able to get back into business again. There's discussion of finding an attorney to get the case fixed. How far this conversation went, I don't know, but ultimately that does not happen. What do you mean by getting the the case fixed? Fix is okay. Fix is basically like he has an the attorney has an in with the judge, and it may be may involve passing money on to the judge, or it may involve something, but it's getting the case tossed or decided like in such paying, a way, paying to get it thrown. Out, yeah, basically. that is not the way that it would happen. It's, Normally, it's not legal at all. Basically, it is not legal. <laughs> it is not legal. No, and I have very few times in Milwaukee where I even see that happening. Whereas I think we've mentioned this before, but Chicago it was a big deal. In Chicago, they had multiple FBI investigations. There was a famous one called Operation Greylord, and they went in and they found all kinds of court officials and several judges. Um, who were taking bribes to throw cases. Um, in one in one very famous case, there's a, a mafia hitman named Harry Ailman. And Harry Ailman was on trial for being a mafia hitman. <laughs> and they paid the judge $10,000, and the judge threw it out. So the guy got away with murder for 10000 bucks. And I think that I, judge got in some serious trouble when they found no, out. <laughs> I think I remember talking about this, and we kind of discussed that Probably a strong reason why you don't see that as much in Milwaukee is because, I mean, we all know that Chicago's politician history is yeah. riddled with corruption, and you never really see that in Milwaukee, right? There's right. not a high level of corruption, that, at least that we know of. Right. It was probably a lot harder for the Milwaukee Mafia to be able to do things like that because it sounds like in Chicago you could just walk up to any random guy and throw him a check and he'd be like yeah what do you need yeah. done and I'll do it. It's like so in Milwaukee it's like not unheard of. If you if you live in Milwaukee you might know. Uh, if you don't if, and you google like corruption, bribery, alderman, something like that. I mean even in the last couple of years there was at least one if not two aldermen who got in some trouble for helping like strip clubs get licenses that weren't supposed to and things like that, which is a relatively minor thing, but still like mm. it, it's not like you can't find a guy to bribe. It's on a much lower level. Yeah. And one of the, one of the reasons for that is Chicago historically, and I don't know if this is still true, but it could still be true. Gave a lot of power to the alderman. The mayor was the top, guy or person the alderman had a lot of say over what happened in their individual areas milwaukee isn't really like that milwaukee is 
you know, the aldermen meet at city council meetings and they vote mm-hmm. and things are decided. Chicago, the aldermen can make a lot of decisions without ever having to go through anybody else as long as it's in their section. So if you're if you're active in that part of town and you've got a guy who's your friend or is willing to look the other way, you can get a lot done. done. Yeah. And actually, that makes a lot of sense, too, because it would also make sense the aldermen... Maybe it's not anything that really Chicago does that gives them more power. It's just the sheer size of Chicago, you know, like because they're each alderman is probably covering a range, a pretty massive range of space. Whereas in Milwaukee, I bet you an alderman, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's not very much space that they're covering because Milwaukee is just so much smaller. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just the size, I think, really is the major factor. But like. For listeners who don't know, we're sitting in Appleton right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you even know who your alderman is? No. Okay. I'm not surprised. But <laughs> I mean, I don't know who my alderman is either. So like I'm not it's not like I'm insulting. I, like, I wanna go with like a Tom Nelson, but I think he no. got he lost or something. Tom Tom Nelson's the out of game county executive. Okay. I tried. Okay. <laughs> if you broke the law in your district, in your you know, ward your alderman couldn't do crap for you. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're like, hey, I'm going to give you 50 bucks if you make this disappear. <laughs> they can't do that. So it's like, it's a very much a Chicago thing where they have a lot of say over that. And in a normal city, your alderman, you know, they don't have any real power. I would I would be really interesting to see, interested to see if it's, is it because the way the government is set up in Chicago that it's different? Or is it just the sheer vast size? They, by nature, I think it's the a alderman, bit of both the alderman gets more power. I think it's set up that way because of the size. I don't remember what they call it, what they call the system of government there, but it has a name for the way it's set up that that makes it so you don't have to clear everything on the city level. But anyway, this is all... Yeah, we're we're going off on a tangent. Actually, we're pretty much at the end anyway. This is kind of how things go at this point. Nobody gets in like any major huge trouble... They do just kind of go around county to county, and they bleed them. They'll get fined $100 here, $200 there, these piddly amounts. But they they keep having to bring them from county to county, which means they have to keep posting bond. It's just, a, it's it annoys the heck out of them. You know, they always have to keep their attorney on hand, which is costing them money. It's, you know, it's killing their credit rating. It's giving them really bad publicity. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, like their fines don't add up to a whole lot. They just were like, we're going to beat you until you are no longer going to be doing this. So, but they do, what do they end up doing with the people's mortgages? Do the people end up getting stuck with that or do no. they do something to? No, because anytime these guys are found guilty, that guilty of the forgery, then the original people are off the hook. Oh, okay. So, so they actually do go from, like you said, county to county, and sometimes yeah. they win. Right. Maybe not. Did do you know like how many, like how many people, how many times were they found guilty? Was it pretty much I every time? I don't know the total. This this is the problem that I run into with this is because my my primary source, as usual, is the FBI file, and the FBI file follows this, but doesn't follow it super close because. Once it's determined it's not really a federal thing, they're only kind of sort of following it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I'm looking into like the newspapers, 
The problem with that is because they're bouncing around from county to county, some county newspapers are really easy to find online, and And some of them have never been put online. I, I, I can tell you that they definitely went from county to county and seem to be found guilty fairly often. Okay. But I couldn't tell you the total number of times that they were that they went on trial and and got found guilty. Did you? Find Nobody went to prison for this, so I'll tell you. Like it really was just a series of fines. fines. Yeah, and it was probably because the, what they were actually nailing them for was all minor crimes, really. Right. I mean, ultimately, once it was all broken down. Yeah. yeah. I mean, granted, they might have gotten like thirteen convictions of a minor crime, but but yeah, it was still a minor yeah. crime. Yeah. And I, I assume at this point in time, be, this strategy did work, and we have no record of them ever tra- attempting to do this again. This was the end of it. Are you being sarcastic? Because <laughs> no, they're going to do it again. They're going to do it again, really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> same people or, or just the mafia some in of, Some of the same guys do it again. Really? Yeah. So when it when does that happen? Is that It'll be a while down the road, but they do come back. They get smarter. In one sense, I guess, because even though they're based out of Milwaukee, they seem to do it out of state. Okay, so they start going out of state. Yeah. Trying to think of the advantages. So they, the places they end up getting in trouble for it are, are like in Louisiana and Florida. Oh, wow. So they're they're going really out of state yeah. then. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know why you're doing work in Louisiana and Florida when you live in Milwaukee, but that's what they end up doing. I wonder if it's just like they had like a storm there and they were just desperate for workers. Maybe that that so, could be. So, you know, like like a hurricane yeah. hit somebody and all the contractors flee to that place because they I know. hadn't even considered that, but I bet you that's, that's, <laughs> that's a good way to get money. A, yeah, that's a good way because people are desperate yeah. and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, interesting. Yeah, some of these guys will try it again. The other thing I would go, go to is law. The laws in Louisiana were somehow different that made it easier to get away with. I don't want to sell any mafia member short, but they just don't seem like they were re- really that smart to no. approach it that way. No, like I'm I'm often surprised. This scam clearly worked for a while and they were able to you know, when you add it all together, it was a significant amount of money. They didn't seem to do a very good job of making it so it wasn't really obvious. Right. That, that, that it traced back to them once somebody figured it out. In like, and I go back to like your toy thing too. Remember the toy episode? Yeah. That like that was a good scheme. I mean, a, that was a thought out legal scheme, but it was yeah. done, done in the simplest possible way. You know, they could yeah. have done uh, added just a couple more layers into that to yeah. make it a little bit harder to trace what they were doing. But it didn't seem like they really put much thought into it. They just like, well, we could do this and that would be easy and we'll eventually get caught, but we'll deal with it when we get caught. That seems about right. <laughs> but anyway, that's, so yeah, so guys, that's that's pretty much it. Like I said, if people are really interested in this story, you can go online, you can check out the notes and it gets into more of the details, like it names all the other salesmen. I tried to not throw that many names in here. It has the other salesmen, if you're curious who they were. It mentioned some of the people who were scammed out of their mortgages and things like that. I didn't skip anything in the notes. The notes are completely thorough. Um, it just doesn't make for very good podcasting oh, just- <laughs> to actually be like, this one was 3000 This one was, you know, nobody cares on that level. But if you do, if you're that person who does, um, I put it out. Interesting. 
All right. Well, I think with that, we can wrap this episode up. As always, we do have a Patreon. You can find that at patreon.com slash Milwaukee Mafia or go to MilwaukeeMafia.com and find it there. And we did have this month, we did have an uptick in people subscribing to the newsletter. So oh, good. we do have a n- newsletter too. Just uh, easiest way to find that is just go to MilwaukeeMafia.com and open your eyes. You'll see it somewhere. It's everywhere. Get signed up for that, and we will be back next week with a Patreon episode, and in two weeks with a regular Mafia episode. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. Oh, and Gavin's got something. I got one. I got one more thing to add. Uh, I want. I want people to know. I want this to be very clear. The monthly newsletter. Yes. There's the section. There's a section that I write. Okay. I don't write anything other than that section. I just want that clear. It was my grammar for something really bad. Sometimes, <laughs> not always, sometimes Eric is not a strong speller. <laughs> so, which is fine, but I just, if before anybody, and this hasn't happened yet, before someone starts emailing me like, your spelling is awful, that's Eric. That's not me. <laughs> but please do, please do. Send messages to him and tell him how terrible my spelling is because we do know this is going to happen. Uh-huh. And, and there's going to be like weird words where other words shouldn't be and stuff like yeah. that. I do try to read through it a couple times before I send No, it, like but... it's it's fine, but just like because I because I am a writer, like I'm reading it and I'm like, oh, that's not how that's spelled. <laughs> but I don't, I don't know if anybody else really like cares that much. All right. Well, now that now that we're done picking on Eric, the other thing, <laughs> Gavin, I forget is was the results of your um yeah your thing. You didn't win. No. Boo. Boo. Not enough people voted for Gavin's yeah. book. Boo. All right. Well, that's it's okay. Impressive. It was a it was a tough one, and there were a lot of great great people who you know there were like over ten people nominated. And some of those were some really strong names. I'm not mad. If I would have won, it would have been a small miracle. So, do they uh, tell you where you wound up on the list? They, or, well, they, or do they just tell you you didn't win? They tell you top three, and I'll tell you I didn't do top three. Okay, so. <laughs> but but I'm not mad about it because, like I said, like some of these people have been writing film history for decades. Like, yeah, these guys know their crap. So yeah, yeah. And this is your first book yeah. in that genre. So just getting nominated with Nate it was a big deal. So well mm-hmm. with that, even though Gavin didn't win, we do appreciate everybody that voted for the book. And like I said, we'll be back next week with another Patreon, two weeks with a regular Mafia episode. Thanks everybody for tuning in. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Milwaukee Mafia podcast. Join us next time for another look back at Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history.